0: Join me, Dr. Kathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life, and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. Professor Sarah Halligan works at the Department of Psychology at the University of Bath. Her research examines the development of psychological disorders, particularly post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, and depression with a focus on young people. Children exposed to trauma are at risk of adverse psychological outcomes, most significantly PTSD and other problems with anxiety. The social context and particularly how parents respond is likely to be of importance to psychological adjustment as parents and families are often the main source of support for children following a traumatic experience. And a warm welcome to Professor Sarah Halligan. How are you, Sarah? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. And thank you uh, for joining us in this podcast episode which looks at the issue of post-traumatic stress disorder in children and how best to both spot symptoms and support these children and young people moving forward. There was a lovely um, phrase that I came across when I was researching this topic and it was being trauma-informed and trauma-aware was everyone's business and that phrase really stuck with me. That this is something, if you're a teacher listening or a parent or someone working with young people and children, we should really all be aware of this particular topic of post-traumatic stress disorder. And Sarah, tell us a little bit about your work in this area, your sort of specialty. So my specialty is
1: in children's trauma and the development of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I look at that in various different ways. And that includes thinking about the individual risk factors for children developing PTSD, but also about what parents and others might think about doing to support children who've um, experienced trauma and how children might benefit from that support.
0: And one of the lovely things that we'll come on to is that the way in which parents react to what's going on for their child and the way in which they intervene can really have great benefits for the child. And we're going to focus on that a little bit later
1: on. Yes, I, I think that's true. And that's something we're really interested in, particularly because there's just general evidence that social support is really important in the context of trauma and PTSD. And for children, it's very clear that from their perspective, usually their main source of social support is their their parents or their carer.
0: Now, going back to the sort of the, the concept of post-traumatic stress disorder and definitions around it, for most people, they associate post-traumatic stress disorder with, say, the Vietnam War or, you know, World War I shell-shock victims. I think that's certainly a very pervasive image in people's minds. But then quite recently with the Manchester bombings, I think it came back into public discussion. And very recently, in fact, a young person said to me when I mentioned we were doing this show and she said, oh, Ariana Grande says she's got PTSD, So has become much more of a talking point as a result of those events. Would that be accurate?
1: Absolutely. So historically, the diagnosis of PTSD or the recognition of that as being a a psychological disorder really arose from the combat veterans' experiences. But it certainly applies to a much wider set of individuals than combat veterans and even um, some quite common Everyday events, such as being involved in a a car accident, can be associated with the development of PTSD. And that's true in adults and it's just as true in children.
0: And also within the literature, I was surprised to read about, you know, you can be subject to post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms even following a traumatic birth. So there are lots of a range of experiences, but it's the the reaction to actually um, incur a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder It's not just normal stress, is it? What are the symptoms that accompany post-traumatic stress disorder?
1: Yes. Um, So just to say, I think PTSD can develop following both really out of the ordinary events, but yes, also following events that on the face of it might seem more common. They can even develop following events that you don't directly experience yourself. And a, a really classic example of that would be a parent learning or seeing that something terrible has happened to their child can be a a definite trigger for the development of PTSD. In terms of the way that it presents itself, there's a number of clusters of symptoms that, that define this disorder. And I think most quintessentially, people would recognize the intrusive symptoms of PTSD. So people will have very strong bad memories, nightmares, feel strong distress when reminded of the trauma. And some but not all individuals will have overt flashbacks where they lose any sense of time and place and really relive the trauma, which you can imagine is extraordinarily distressing.
0: Are those symptoms, Sarah, s- a parallel in both children and adults or do they differ? It's hard to directly compare.
1: What we do see is that children might manifest those symptoms differently. So in children, for example, you might see signs of those intrusive symptoms because they're reenacting traumatic events in their play but as as far as we can tell children experience similar kinds of problems to adults.
0: What are the most prevalent um, sort of stressors for children who experience post-traumatic stress disorder what are the most or is there a pattern in terms of prevalence uh, of what the original stressor event was?
1: Yes. So um, events do differ in terms of the likelihood that they're going to be associated with the development of psychological problems. So at the low end of the spectrum, in terms of the likelihood that they'll cause disorder, are accidental kind of injury events. And those carry a much lower risk of PTSD than some other kinds of traumas, but they're also extremely common. So although they're low risk, they do affect very large numbers of children in the uk every year so that's one thing to consider
0: and what does that mean accidental injury sorry like does it mean having a falling off your bicycle and and severing your leg absolutely any of
1: those events where it's it's not somebody else that's tried to harm you or do something to you so car accidents for kids bike accidents even some very serious sporting injuries can be triggers for the development of ptsd things like burns and falls Although, you know, some many children will be absolutely fine following a serious accident, a proportion of them will go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. And in other countries, common types of events, for example, might be disasters such as the, the recent hurricane that has obviously devastated the Bahamas. In some contexts, that will be a, a common event that doesn't carry particularly high risk of PTSD, but affects many, many people, so is is actually really problematic at a population level.
0: And for parents listening or or teachers who know that a pupil, for example, has, I mean, my own son witnessed quite a traumatic um, injury to someone else quite recently. And although seems fine in the first few days, uh, should parents and teachers, for example, be mindful of a delayed reaction to traumatic events?
1: Yes, that's quite uncommon, actually. So most children who are Fine immediately following a trauma will also be absolutely fine further down the line. A very small minority will show a delayed reaction where they might seem fine to start with. And then sometimes due to a trigger or sometimes we don't understand why, they will worsen over time and develop PTSD maybe six or you know even 12 months later. But by far, the more common pattern is for children to be struggling right from the start, actually. And many of those who are struggling right from the start will actually get better and won't need any help. But about half of those will go on to have more persistent problems and and might need some extra support.
0: And if we just dwell on the immediate aftermath of the traumatic event, what is it if you were the parent or you were the teacher or you were the GP that needs to be uh, less so the GP because they have a clinical framework to adhere to but what is it that we should be saying to our children following those events to assess how they're doing? Well I think the first thing
1: is to be asking children how they are getting on. I started describing some of the symptoms of PTSD and, and mentioned the kind of intrusive memories that children might have and nightmares. You might see signs of those outwardly Equally, children with PTSD are likely to be avoiding reminders, and that might be thoughts, feelings, places, people, activities that might remind them of the trauma. Another set of symptoms that are very important are changes in mood. So children might find that they're less able to enjoy things they used to love. They're not as sociable as they used to be. And they might have a very strong sense of the world as being very you know, dangerous or themselves as being very vulnerable or profoundly changed in some way for the worse. And finally, children might experience symptoms of kind of being hyper aroused or or overly alert in a way. So you'll see that they're startling more easily than normal. And some children will be more irritable, more angry, they might be more destructive, or, or, you know, doing things that might damage themselves. And they might also show changes in their sleep and concentration. So some of these symptoms are very obvious in relation to thinking about trauma. But some of them you might not recognize straight away that they're a sequelae of the trauma, as it were. And some of them are quite internal. So you, you might not even know that they're there. And actually, parents and children don't agree very well when it comes to reporting on children's symptoms of PTSD. So it's important to look out for those outward signs. But it's also really important to check in with your child or the the child that you're helping and find out how they're getting on
0: and maybe even ask directly about some of those symptoms. And there's definitely room there for teachers and parents working together to look for things like mood disturbance, hypervigilance, at, at home looking for sort of, you know, nightmares and terrors and all those sort of other things when you're talking about those symptoms there's great resonance with the you know the concept of a child just simply being anxious and what i would worry about and i think you've mentioned to me before is that it gets labeled as anxiety rather than what it should be which is the ptsd diagnosis
1: yes and even more troubling you know some of those more acting out aggression or you know self destructive behaviors poor concentration in school can just be seen as, you know, the child being a bit of a pain, actually. So it's really important to be aware, particularly when there has been a a big kind of life event that the young person has gone through, that those symptoms are likely to be or could be a direct manifestation of of the direct distress they've developed following that event.
0: Imagine those symptoms emerge without the knowledge of a traumatic event on the part of the parent or the school. Is it worth exploring that potentially, for example, a child might be being sexually abused or is there when do you sort of start trying to unpick that?
1: Yes, that's a really tricky one, isn't it? And I'm not sure I know precisely the answer to that. But I, I would say in general that I think sometimes adults around children can be hesitant or afraid to ask about you know possible bad experiences and obviously it's always really important to be cautious about planting ideas in children's minds about you know what may or may not be causing their difficulties but I think being available and an open listener and a, as a teacher you know if you see that a child has suddenly undergone some changes and seems to be struggling you know, do do ask the question is there anything going on that I might need to know about and yeah you may need to ask the child about that and not just the parents
0: and I think culturally most people are aware that that sort of you know signs of a child being withdrawn or particularly just changing overnight type thing is something that needs further exploration
1: yes I would hope so and I think increasingly society is becoming you know more and more sensitive and and aware of that but you'd be amazed actually how frightening adults still feel it can be to ask children about very bad experiences so yeah I think we're still working to a place where that feels okay and and adults feel confident that that's an okay thing to do.
0: In terms of who's going to you've made a lovely point there about that children most children will recover I think that's what you suggested and that the prognosis is good with with the kind of the required support systems in place But certainly a question that was raised by Ariana Grande in popular culture was the effect of post-traumatic stress disorder on her brain. And she actually, I think, shared on Instagram some scan of her brain um, as a result of developing post-traumatic stress disorder, which is, you know, problematic in itself and probably not very secure in its research background. But what about the impact of post-traumatic stress disorder on the brain? Is it a permanent scar, if you like?
1: some people would argue that that's true i don't think that the evidence of any kind of permanent scarring on the brain as a result of ptsd is very clear and so i you know i absolutely wouldn't be that wouldn't be my concern as a parent thinking about a child who who is struggling with ptsd i think that studies that have shown differences in brain structural function in children who have or have not experienced trauma have tended to show very mixed findings actually so they don't tend to agree with each other about what those changes might be and they're not very informative as in you know some of these studies will look at adults who've been traumatized as children and and so many things that could have changed their brain development will have gone on in the interim. So for example, PTSD is often associated with substance abuse or alcohol consumption to a a higher level. So there'd be lots of other factors that could explain why someone who's had PTSD for a long time, maybe since childhood, might have different brain structure or brain activity to someone who hasn't. And I think it would be premature to say, that PTSD is causing any kind of brain changes.
0: Lovely, thank you. In terms of any differences that we need to be aware of in terms of gender, so for example, are boys more likely to cope better with the symptoms of post-traumatic stress or any gender differences that would be relevant?
1: Yes, so actually in younger children, girls and boys seem to be equally likely to show symptoms of PTSD following trauma. But what we see in adolescents is that um, increasingly girls seem to be More vulnerable to developing PTSD following trauma exposure than boys are. And that holds true in adulthood as well. So women are about twice as likely following a similar kind of event to develop PTSD as compared to men. And the reasons for that are very poorly understood at the moment, I would say.
0: Right. That's absolutely fascinating. And what about age? So you've mentioned adolescents, younger children. If something traumatic like that occurs to you at a particular age, does it affect the recovery?
1: The evidence on that point isn't particularly clear. But I think what you will see is that as you work with older and older populations, of course, the likelihood that they will have experienced some kind of trauma increases. So, you know, studies that have looked at adolescents across a range of ages do naturally tend to see more PTSD in the older adolescents. But it isn't very clear whether that's because they're just particularly vulnerable or because, yes, they're more likely to experience some kind of serious event.
0: Now, Sarah, I know that you've done, reading your bio, a lot of work in terms of um, of looking at depression, particularly in young people. And I was very interested in the relationship, if any, between post-traumatic stress disorder and depression in young people.
1: Yes, so um, following trauma, PTSD isn't the only kind of disorder that children will be at greater risk of. So I think that probably the second most common problem is depression, particularly in slightly older children. Equally, individuals maybe have the two things at the same time. So you may have depression and PTSD, There is some overlap in terms of the symptoms because if you remember having changes in your mood and and finding it hard to be happy is one of the symptoms of PTSD also. Even beyond depression, children may develop other kinds of um, psychological difficulties following trauma. So a whole range of psychological disorders have been found to be elevated or occur at higher rates in populations where trauma has been um, experienced
0: and in general what are the factors the protective factors that will ensure that perhaps hopefully that depression is not you know long term what are the things that can that need to be in place for that young people to move past that depressive episode i think
1: depression obviously is a challenging condition it's one that i think typically benefits from intervention so uh, depression is a disorder that can come and go you know you may see a child struggling at uh, one time and they, they may naturally recover over time but they then may still be vulnerable to experiencing a new episode of depression so I, I think the best I can say about helping a child who's suffering from depression following trauma exposure is that that they would benefit from psychological, intervention particularly cognitive behavioral therapy and that as a parent the best thing to do would be to go and approach your GP and be very clear about the problem and the kind of support
0: that your child needs. And we know that medication is routinely used to help alleviate the symptoms of depression. Is that the case for post-traumatic stress disorder? If a parent goes along to the medical services for their child with a diagnosis of PTSD, is it likely and normal for them to be given medication to manage the symptoms? I would hope it's much less likely that
1: medication would be prescribed for a child with PTSD, even as compared to a child with depression. So the national clinical guidelines around interventions for PTSD for children absolutely recommend that psychological interventions should be the first line treatment for uh, children with PTSD. And as far as I'm aware, the recommended psychological Interventions are the only ones that we have an evidence base for to show that they will benefit children with PTSD.
0: And presumably, local GPs will all be aware of that fact and also where to refer on to. Is that the case? I would hope so, but obviously, people have
1: varied experiences of approaching their GP. Uh, what I would say is, as a parent, it's really good if when you go to your GP, you have clarity around what the problems are that your child is experiencing what has caused them and what kind of treatment that you believe your child needs and i know that normally the expectation is that your doctor will tell you you know what the problem is and, and what you need but i think in in the mental health field it can often help to be really really clear about what the problem is and to have done some
0: research to know what ideally, you want the outcome to be in terms of intervention. And to be as informed as possible and to use your own intuition and and to be able to confidently put forward that information to the GP.
1: I would say so. I mean, particularly because at the moment, uh, child services are so stretched in mental health terms that it's important to really push as a parent for what you need and when you need it in the
0: clearest possible terms. And I know that you've created an amazing resource for parents, which we're going to talk about in a few moments. I want to go back to something that just fascinates me and puzzles me, which is this kind of relationship between parental mental health and children's mental health and how it's possible for a parent to develop um, symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder from something that has happened to someone else, to their own child. Can you talk about how that works and why it occurs?
1: Yes. So I I think I completely understand this, actually, because I've talked to many parents who've had their child experience a trauma. And you can imagine even following a car accident, you know, some parents will be there and see what happens to their child. And that can be utterly terrifying. And other parents won't be there and they won't see what happens, but they'll get a phone call from a hospital. And, you know, there can be a period of hours where they don't know for sure whether their child is going to pull through actually. And that is utterly terrifying. I mean, for many of those parents, that will be the the worst thing that ever happens to them. So I, I don't think we need to think differently about PTSD following this or that trauma particularly. I think in the case of a child experiencing a trauma, for some parents, that will be absolutely terrifying. And that's, directly why they develop
0: PTSD. And really the shock isn't it isn't that at the heart of trauma the trauma challenges all those assumptions you had that your child would be safe at school or travel on that journey and end up arriving at the other end you know it challenges it shatters assumptions doesn't it? Absolutely
1: and as you can imagine the symptoms can continue to reinforce that I mean it's hard to kind of turn around the idea that your child is no longer safe when you're repeatedly having intrusive images of something really terrible that happened to them so yeah there is an idea that that kind of benign world view we all tend to hold can be destroyed by experiencing a trauma and actually one of the most strong reliable predictors of PTSD across the board so in children and in adults is this kind of pervasive change in the way that individuals understand the world and a real sense of the world being dangerous and the individual being very vulnerable or not well placed to cope.
0: And I think, you know, coming from Northern Ireland, where obviously, you know, there were days where you'd walk past murder scenes regularly, taped off areas. And I think the Northern Irish were very good at getting on with their everyday lives and avoidant behaviour was something that you were encouraged never to do, to just get back stuck in, go back to the place, the cinema where there'd been a bomb the, the the week before. And is it true that we sort of developed that strategy, that coping strategy as a community over time? But is it the case that nudging back into those experiences, getting back on the horse, if you like, as soon as possible after the event, is that actually have any clinical, you know, or research base? Yes, absolutely.
1: So I think any kind of effective intervention for PTSD typically involves trying to get the individual to kind of face their fears to some extent and as far as possible, reclaim the life that they had before the trauma. That can be really, really hard. So it's something that parents, in theory, can support children with. You know, for example, following a a severe accident, the child might need to, you know, get back in the car and still drive places, but might find it very hard to do that. Parents may be able to help by taking that really step by step. So a very first step might be, for example, the child sitting in the car for a few minutes, but not attempting to drive anywhere. And the next step might mean just putting the seatbelt on in the car and thinking about making a very short journey. So parents may be able to help children to build back towards getting their lives to normal. And that's really what children want as well. But it it may be really hard for them to do that. And I think while parents can help with that, if children are really struggling to approach reminders of a trauma or, or get back on with their lives, that's a real warning sign that they they might need some help if it continues for a long time. And and I would encourage parents, you know, to think about getting professional help because ultimately it, it's a, a psychologist who's likely to be able to support
0: you with that. And as difficult as 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 painful as it must be for a parent, we I think we know that talking works, getting that child to talk it out to get a sense, a different perspective perhaps on what happened to them. But It's very scary for a parent to open that particular conversational door, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And parents, I mean, we talk to a lot of parents about this also. And some parents feel it's really, really important to talk to their child about what's happened. And others feel quite afraid of it, that they might somehow make their child so distressed they will will break them in some way. We think that there's no evidence that talking about trauma could harm your child. And we actually think it's a a really important thing to do if your child is receptive to that. And I think some parents will make the mistake of waiting for their child to come to them to talk about what happened. I would say don't do that. Make sure that your child knows it's okay to talk about what happened. You may need to initiate some conversations yourself. Equally, some children really, really won't want to talk to you. And and that might be absolutely fine. Still, just make sure they know that that it's okay to do that if they want to. So give them the opportunities. Don't force them, um, but make sure
0: they know that the door is open. So the lovely words there that people can actually remember will be, don't be passive, be proactive in making sure they can and know they can talk about it with you, but equally be very sensitive to how they're responding to those suggestions to talk. I would say so, yes. So don't be afraid to
1: open that door, but you know, don't push your child too hard. Some children will tell us they just really don't want to talk about what happened. Obviously, that can sometimes be a sign that things aren't going well. So try and find other ways to find out more about how your child is coping. But some children who are doing absolutely fine, they just, that's their way of coping and they really won't want to talk about it. And that can be okay.
0: Just as there's sort of a generational transmission, perhaps, of the effects of trauma, can it go across in terms of affecting siblings?
1: Oh, you know, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. We see that certainly having a parent who's distressed can be associated with a a higher level of distress in children and vice versa so certainly i think there's the potential for that kind of more family level struggle to go on but we still don't completely understand why there's that overlap between parent and child ptsd so and I, i don't know what evidence there is actually on on siblings being affected by having a, a, a brother or sister who has PTSD, of course, having a sibling go through a trauma can be really terrible. So I, I'd be hesitant to give you a, a firm answer on that one. Lovely. Actually.
0: Thank you. Now, I want to move on to this exciting new website, which really prompted our conversation because I heard about it from another researcher and she, you know, my job is to signpost both, you know, educators and GPs and anyone working with children towards the best stuff. So tell us all about why you set up your website and what it's called. So our website is called
1: childtraumarecovery.com. That's one word. And we were really prompted to develop this website because we've been doing a lot of work with hospitals and clinicians there were saying to us that they're seeing families who've, who've come in following some kind of trauma to a child and they're very capable to help children with their physical recovery. But they're a bit short in terms of psychological resources that they can point families to So we wanted to create a website that was just quite basic and provide some really clear information about what to expect following a child's trauma. It's particularly directed at parents, but I think equally it could be useful for uh, teachers to look at, other kinds of carers. Um, and I think certainly we hope that hospitals might find it a useful resource to refer parents to.
0: And is there sort of a it's meant it's called child trauma. does it reach into the teenage years and older children, or is it specifically for kind of primary age?
1: No, absolutely. We've got some information that's focused on slightly younger children, but just as much information about those older teens as well is included in the website. And how
0: do you hope the, what do you hope for the website? What is it that you want to happen? Do you want the parents to feel better supported, clinicians to feel better supported? What would be your best outcome? Absolutely. So we, we also do a lot of work with parents
1: and they themselves say that they're often, Feeling uncertain. I mean, our impression is that most parents are doing a really fantastic job of supporting children following trauma, but they can often lack confidence as to whether or not they're, they're doing the right thing and feel very anxious and unsure about that. So, we hope this website will be a, a resource for them, particularly to help them understand what to expect following trauma, to know when things are going well or, or maybe not going so well, and to kind of spot the signs that a child might need some kind of external or, or formal intervention, but also to know themselves, to feel confident that the kind of support that they're providing their child is, is likely to be good support and the kind of support that children will benefit from.
0: And is the website an ongoing, is it being developed you know, as an ongoing venture or is it completely finished? It's absolutely
1: finished at the moment, but as you will understand, research means that Things always change in terms of our understanding. So I think as our understanding of child PTSD and and what works develops, we'll be updating our website to make sure that it has the most current information.
0: And are there any, you know, if there was one book you'd recommend to parents or even GPs or teachers listening, does one come to mind that you think is the, the best book you've come across in terms of supporting children with this condition?
1: There's not one I'd point you to immediately but one of my colleagues David Tricky has a book that's forthcoming that is particularly targeting parents who are supporting with uh, children with trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder and I think that will be a good one to look to because that's written by an absolute expert clinician in the field and it is overtly written to be supporting parents and families so it will have the right kind of language amazing he could be my next podcast
0: guest absolutely <laughs> he will be fantastic for you thank you and i just I always ask this podcast series is called get a grip you know what is it that perhaps keeps you awake at night in terms of what you see and hear and read in your own research and what do you wish the government or you know could get a grip on in this particular area if anything
1: yeah, I mean, what's absolutely clear from many, many, many studies is that children who are exposed to trauma can need extra psychological support. And we know a lot about the kinds of psychological interventions that can help trauma expose children and they can really benefit them. At the moment, though, not enough children are getting access to those kinds of interventions that we need and we know are effective and some children are being given interventions that we have no evidence at all will work for them. And for me, that's an absolute shambles really, because you know we wouldn't accept that kind of approach in the physical health field for a minute. So I think the government needs to really work to make sure that interventions we know work are being offered in the first instance and to the widest possible population and that's not happening now and i think that's i think that's something that really needs to be addressed urgently because we know that these children who experience trauma you know they can be some of the most vulnerable groups in society
0: and i have to ask what are the the interventions that you would worry about are not wholly evidence based
1: well i think often children who experience trauma for example might be offered some kind of a counseling experience they might be offered play therapy. This, at the moment, I mean, I, I, they're not necessarily bad interventions, but there's not a good evidence base that they'll provide benefits to a child who's experienced significant trauma. There's evidence that uh, interventions that are based on cognitive behavior therapy and are trauma focused will be of value to that kind of group. And there's also evidence that EMDR or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing can work. But that has many of the the same principles as cognitive behavior therapy. My worry is that if a child gets an intervention that we don't know works, they think they've had treatment for their disorder And that that treatment has failed and they may not then go on to get another kind of intervention because, you know, they'll they'll feel like there's no chance. And that's a, a real problem. So I think even if we think we're not doing any harm with these interventions, actually, we could be doing harm in terms of changing people's perceptions and hopes about their likelihood of recovery.
0: It's such a great point. So on that last point, it's about being discerning about the quality of the treatment that we're putting in front of our children. Absolutely.
1: We have to use the treatments that we know we have evidence that they're likely to be effective. And actually those interventions that have been tested and and are recommended by NICE are pretty effective for child PTSD. So it's it's absolutely crucial that those are the interventions that children are being offered.
0: Our last question is, can people, can members of the public, concerned parents, a GP's interested in learning more about this area. Are you contactable? How would you like people to interact with you as a, as a researcher if, if you do at all? Absolutely.
1: I would love for people to email me. My email is s.l.halligan at bath.ac.uk or you'll find me very easily via Google and, and again I'd welcome an email via that route.
0: That's great. And do you work directly with schools, Sarah? Are you interested in schools getting involved in any of your work?
1: We don't do much direct work with schools at the moment, but we'd absolutely be open to that.
0: Okay, that's a great note to leave it on. And, you know, what an amazing, informative chat. Thank you so much for joining us. And hopefully it won't be the last time that you're on the Get A Grip podcast. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. This Get a Grip podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.